Some people clap on a one and three. Some people clap on a two and four. Some people don't join at all because they got no rhythm, and that's all right. Some people, they drink too much. Some people don't drink enough. Some people are just like me. I hope y'all forgive them. I'm like Scott and Tommy Corbins. I'm like Pete Southtown, Zan Zan. I'm always speaking my mind, but I'm better off by my tongue. I'm a bad show at the wrong time. Still, I'm a legend of my own mind. I'm good for the song, but I'm not for Welcome to another episode of Two Ales and Hockey Tales with Wally. And today, I am so excited to have on a 66-year-old from Listowel, Ontario, Canada. His hockey journey took him to Canada, the USA, France, Switzerland, Norway, Austria, Germany, and Sweden. In 75 was a fifth-round draft pick of the New York Rangers and a ninth-round draft pick of the Indianapolis Racers of the WHA. As a player, played 19 years pro, two NHL games, 14 seasons in France. I think one of them of his French titles was just as a player, but he won three more as a player coach, mainly coach, and I think we'll get into that. As a coach, though, had a 26-year career. That in pro hockey is 1975 to 2017. Is that? Yeah, that must be right. I wrote you, got, it down. you got to work on your math there, Wally. Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I'm talking player and coaching together. Oh, but yeah, anyways, yeah. here we go. Two-time Swiss A coach of the year, three-time Swiss A champion with three different teams, three Continental Cup championships, and one Super Cup, whatever that is, and also coached Canada in the Deutschland and Spangler Cup. Welcome to the podcast, Larry Huris. Well, thank you, Wally. It's a pleasure to be here. I've done a, I've done a few of these, but the first time I've ever done one with an XL Myra Sugar King. So, well, there you go. It, that is our connection, and that is actually how I get into I get into how we know each other. And um, I guess first I'll get into how this got set up. Was actually your son um, has been I think probably listening to the pod, but he 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 wants his dad on. He wants to hear the stories. So, and um, I know your son and um, his first cousin, uh, Bubbles, is what we called him, but Kevin Labatt. Yeah, well, they're a, a couple of characters. They had a they had a great time in Elmira, and uh, it was great to have the family tradition continue. I mean, I've done a lot of things in hockey, but when people ask you what's the most thing you're that uh, you're the most uh, proud of, I said, oh well. I was an original member of the 1971 Elmira Sugar Kings, and it's 50 years this year, Wally, 50 years for the Kings. I know. I'm going to the golf tournament in about a week and a half. Are you going to be there? I'll see you there, man. I will see you there. Oh, that's awesome, because when we uh, we were, well, I guess you were the first team, um, we were a Sutherland Cup championship team, and uh that was 20 years ago and our whole teams got back in contact and there's a there's about three foursomes heading that way. Uh, it, uh, it's going to be a noisy round of golf. I can tell. I, I, I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah. So I guess, you know, Dino that. I know pretty much all those guys. I mean, uh, I have been going like back and I've met kind of kept in touch and watch whenever I get a chance. I mean, over the years, I played out of the country, obviously a lot of times, whenever I get a chance to go back and then always been there for the golf tournaments every year to connect with, with my ex teammates and then kind of connect with the new uh, sugar Kings as well. So it's, it's been a great tradition and it's been a great club. 
Yeah, no, I, I have not been able to make it because I was playing hockey and then um, you don't get that many uh, vacation days when you start in the real world. So Mondays are tough to get to usually, but I've built them up now. I'm ready to hit the T's on a Monday now. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay. Um, but thank you to, to your son for setting this up. And um, Kevin Labatt is your nephew. There's another way we know each other. Kevin Labatt played with me maybe more than any other player. And he's your nephew. Yeah, that's, uh, that's quite a story. My, my, uh, I guess it was my third year pro. I got traded to St. Louis and their farm club that time was in Salt Lake City. So that first year, one of the young bucks, like right out of the Ontario Hockey League was, was a player named Neil Labatt. And uh, Neil and I hit it off right away and up being my roommate. And then we met the two sisters and we ended up marrying two sisters. So, and that's how uh, Kevin and uh, Brett uh, came along. And, and uh, is that right? Being, yeah. Yeah. They ended up being uh, uh, friends uh, for life. They're certainly really good buddies right now. They're both living in Salt Lake city and uh, they've been, uh, they've been together and almost inseparable since the time they were born. Yeah, no, um, both great dudes. Um, uh, Kevin actually small world. This is, is like, he lived next door to me in Elmira. And then, uh, we played for the sure Kings together. And then we both got scholarships to Western Michigan and then lived right beside each other again for three years. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. So yeah, we spent a lot of our adolescence together. Um, but anyways, moving on is other sugar King, you do know, I, and I believe you coached as Derek Hahn and Ingolstadt. That's right. Yeah, I coached Honor in, in Ingolstadt, and yeah, that's quite a story as well. Like uh, with with Derek, very very good player, had a long career, uh, did very well. Like uh, he had a, a good junior junior B career. He went on from there, and and I mean I know the whole family. I mean I used to date his his aunt at one time. So his his dad his dad was a menacing force. Like if I brought his if I brought Teresa home like ten minutes too late. I would get the big stare down, you know, from, from the brothers, like coming out to the front door. So I, I watched my step there. It's a pretty, uh, pretty tough bunch of characters, those haunts. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, no, Derek did have an impressive career from a guy that uh, I guess he was division three college. And then we had only played in the central hockey league before he went to Europe. And then the career he put together in Europe was incredible. Yeah. He was a very, very good player. Uh, Derek was a very talented guy, smart player. And uh, he is one of many, many sugar kings that that uh, that did very well. Uh, like coming out of Elmira, they have a long, long list of quite uh, quite uh, the lineage uh, for a lot of players that came through that uh, that uh, that team. Um, okay, and next question: How we know each other is when we were setting this up. There was a huge storm, and you were not at home, and you were going to go check out the cottage to see how it was. How was there any damage? Uh, oh, I lost, I lost uh, at one tree, but uh, other than that, it was uh, no, no big deal. I mean, there was other places that were hit harder than, than we were, but uh, my thoughts go out to, uh, to all the, the people along the, the shoreline of Lake Huron that just got hammered. And uh, well, everybody, they're tough, tough sort, these Canadians, these Ontario uh, people here. So we'll bounce back. We just got to replant a few trees, I think, more than anything else. Yeah, no, I lost my, uh, that's my story for this is, uh, I lost my biggest, nicest tree in the middle of my front yard, a nice maple, um, snapped right at the trunk. And, um, that's the thing about living in this neighborhood in Concordia. I'm working from home. Um, I'm sitting at the kitchen table and two of my neighbors pull up in a truck with a trailer. And all of a sudden my dog gets let in the door and 
they chopped up my whole tree and took it all to the dump for me while I was working. Oh man, that's great. Send your neighbors my way. Mine's still on the ground out blocking my driveway. So <laughs> well, every, every time I looked outside, it pissed me off. And then, yeah. I, then I had no time. I was too busy and they show up and do that for me. It's just incredible people around here, you know? That's oh, good to have. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And uh, you got a shout out on a former pod from Dan Seaman. He said you were one of his mentors. Did you know that? Yeah. yeah well, I've hoped that uh, uh, Dan's had a really uh, great uh, coaching career as well. Uh, I met Dan at a uh, Roger Nielsen coaching clinic one time in Windsor, and we just kind of hit it off. And Dan was a very inquisitive guy. I think that uh, the biggest thing about Dan that I think has uh, really uh, shaped his coaching career is that he's not afraid to ask questions and to, to reach out and to, to get different opinions on things. And, and there's one thing I'm never short on, Wally, it's opinions. So uh, if you ask me a question, I'll tell you what I think. But with, uh, with Dan, uh, it's great to see like a young coach like that uh, have the kind of career that he's had. He's, he's doing very well. He's back in Austria now in Linz uh, with the Black Wings there. And uh, I wish him well for this season. Yeah, I'm. Uh, we won the gold helmets together in Denmark, and I really enjoyed him as a coach. And I totally agree. I understand what you mean by asking questions as a young person. Like it's like starting in the real world as a hockey player. You don't really know what you're doing, and you got to ask around to figure out what's going on, right? Because the answers are out there. You just got to ask people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a great thing. I mean, I'm very happy to consider a mentor for Dan. I mean, I know that when I went to Switzerland. Um, I was the youngest coach in the league and there was only one other Canadian in the league at that time. I think there was 12 teams in the league and only, only one other Canadian was uh, Brian Lefley, the late, great Brian Lefley. And Brian couldn't have been nicer. Like if I had questions, he gave me his phone number at the first time we, we, we played against each other. And he said, if you have anything or need anything, just give me a call. And I, I was bending Brian's ear more than once, like trying to figure things out, man, because that first year in Switzerland, I survived my first year there. And uh, I was forever grateful for Brian for all the help that he gave me as a younger coach. Yeah, I, I, I was look. My research team was looking today. There's a lot of hiring and firing in that league. Um, the first year would <laughs> yeah. be important to get through. Um, but anyways, Absolutely. another reason why we know each other, and then we'll move on, is rumor has it you because I told my parents who I was having on tonight, and they said they went to high school with you. Did you know that? Uh, well, that could be. What's what's your parents' name? Sue and Ron. Um, Sue Haney would have been her name back okay, then. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, yeah, because uh, uh, that that my friend was a long time ago. Oh, I know. So, I don't know uh, yeah. many people from high school either. But you know, <laughs> you would have been the big hockey star. So maybe they remembered you because you were the big tough guy. Because that's what we're gonna get into now. Because uh, when I saw the pictures of you, you didn't look that scary, big, or strong. But did you ever fight a Hanson brother? Uh, yes, I did actually. Like, like one of the movie Hansons. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Jeff Carlson. Uh, so Jeff, Jeff was, uh, we were playing in the international hockey league and, uh, which is kind of a rock'em sock'em league anyways. And Jeff, Jeff and I had actually fought a couple times. And, uh, this one game we had a fight early on in the game and Jeff was a pretty good scrapper. I mean, we always had good, uh, good set twos. And then later on the game, Later on in the game, there was a bouncy puck. The puck came up into the slot and kind of bounced, and, and uh, Jeff wound up to shoot it, and I went down to block it, but he kind of double-clutched on it. So his timing was way off, and then by the time he shot it, I was sliding, sliding bass, and he caught me like kind of in the upper, upper part of my chest near my throat. He rushes over to me. He says, Larry, I said, are you okay? Sorry, bud. 
I said, I, I meant to shoot it quicker, but I got choked up on it. And I, I'm thinking, the guy's trying to kill me the last couple of games, and now he's worried about my health. But just kind of shows you the kind of character and the characters that you play against in hockey. But uh, really good guys. I mean, these guys are, are salt-of-the-earth guys and uh, hardcore hockey players, but, you know, they're, they're people as well, and, and they respect. It's a question of respect. Well, and, know, I, and, and I, I personally I totally get what he's getting at there is – you go in man to man and having a fight that that's respect. That's having a go, but shooting it at someone or hitting someone in the face or intentionally hurting someone, that's two totally different things, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, yeah, that was pretty, pretty good. And then uh, yeah, I got to know a couple of those guys out of the Hanson brothers. I got to know two of them out of the three. So uh, the movie Hanson of the Hanson brothers, you know, so I just uh, watched other, Slapshot the other night because it was on Netflix, and it, it, uh, it, it's, it's still fantastic. It's it's still a classic one. Every time you watch it, you find something new. So we'll put that on the list of favorite movies for people uh, tuning in tonight. Is uh, well, good old de- Slapshot. Definitely. If you haven't watched Slapshot, then you're yeah, you're then not you're, a true. You got to really be a true hockey fan. You've got to watch Slapshot at least two or three times. There's no way people that listen to this haven't seen Slapshot. But if you haven't, like, it brings back so many memories for me, and like oh just God. being a, a semi-pro hockey player. But hey, this is a navigating lieutenant, Bayfield Brewing Company. Yeah, very um, good. Okay, next question, because I didn't realize you were such a scrapper, because I thought, based <laughs> on the pictures and your age, I thought you were too pretty to be a fighter. Then well, I saw your stats, yeah. and, th- and then I got some notes here. So next yeah. question, have you ever gotten in a fight as a coach? Oh, well, technically, I've never jumped onto the ice, but there was, uh, yeah, there was a couple of times where, uh, fists were flying in, let's just say in the bench area, you know, without, without admitting too much players. But, uh, are you hitting, uh, who are you hitting? Who are you punching? Well, I, I'm not quite sure. I was swinging at it. Yeah. I was uh, swinging, swinging at their players. I think. Yeah. I don't think any, well, they any can be a was, bunch of little punks. Can't they? Uh, well, yeah. Well, this guy was, he was not a, he was not a small man, but he was just being a complete jerk and he suckered. He suckered one of my players and got kicked out of the game and was hamming it up on the ice. And then, uh, of course, he's walking down and, he, you know, he's, he's, he's dragging to the crowd. And then we jumped him and we just beat the crap out of him. <laughs> oh, that's, that's livid. That, that, yeah, oh, that's, that's old that's school a, hockey. A, allegedly, allegedly. 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 There's probably no video back then, right? <laughs> no, there was no video of that particular thing. So allegedly, this is what they were saying. But uh, there's, there's no video confirmation of that. Okay. So this is what we're going to get into. I, I actually, I, you're, you're intro was so long i forgot to introduce today's sponsor other than the bayfield brewing company our other sponsor is hockey coach vision that gets us into where and what are you doing now well that's a nice nice segue there brett that was very smooth wasn't it so uh <laughs> for the last years uh, uh we we formed with a partner of mine from uh from switzerland philip kostovich we filled we formed this software company and we have our our coaching app out there called hockey coach vision and uh, it's been really a fun, it's been really a fun trip, but uh, it's, it's been very well received. We're in 36 hockey countries around the ro- road, uh, around the world, country, hockey countries like Taiwan and Israel and Colombia and uh, all these great places. But uh, yeah, and uh, we're in 13 different languages and it's been, it's been really fun. I get to coach coaches now, which is a little bit easier, I think, than coaching players, but uh, hockeycoachvision.com, like check it out. Hockey coach vision. So what exactly is like, what exactly does it do? Well, it's a, it's, so it's an app. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like it's an app. So people that uh, that uh, would go to the this, the uh, the website hockeycoachvision.com, you know, you would pull it up and there's a bunch of free drills in there. So they can they can go up and uh, and they can take a look at it and they can open open drills up and then play them in 2D. And uh, the greatest thing about it is that it's all animated so that the, the players, they, they, they get instantly to be able to see exactly what's going on. And they can switch around from 2D to 3D views and they can move it around and zoom in and out. So the players know exactly what's going on. So and they can create and share drills and share complete practice uh, plans right to the, the smartphones of their players if they want. And so you could um, play the video or the app for the players so they can see the drill firsthand how it's supposed to work. Absolutely. So uh, that's, that's kind of the way it works. And that's the idea is because, you know, it saves a lot of time out in the ice in front of the whiteboard. If you can pick up, uh, if you can pick up a, uh, a drill of any kind of drill and show it to them so that they understand it instantly. Because not everybody, when you're looking at a whiteboard and drawing it up in 2D, can figure out exactly the timing of everything. So it's, yeah. it's a great advantage. And we've got, uh, we've, got NH, we've got four NHL teams using us, a whole bunch of NCAA teams, uh, major junior A teams. So it's, it's, I think, I really believe it's the way of the future, like uh, 3D animation and virtual reality, augmented reality. Uh, we've got these uh, first-person views where you can, you can pick a, a player or, or even the coach, and you can watch the drill through the eyes of the, of the players or the coach to see uh, like an on-ice level. So it's if you're, you're, you're right there on the ice with the player or you can play it through the player's eyes themselves. Anyways, it's, it's, it's a pretty fun app. But uh, if you're looking for some free drills, coaches, go to our website, hockeycoachvision.com. There's about 125 free animated drills on there. So uh, you, uh, you're, you're bound to found two or three that you're going to like. Well, that, that's incredible. And like for myself, I'm, uh, I guess, a budding minor hockey coach, I guess you could say, because I was just on the ice right before I got off at eight o'clock here. So right before we started. Um, and, you know, you can get stale with the same old drills until someone else gives you something new. Um, and yeah. the other thing I want to say is when you talk about Greece and those hockey countries is it's the same as who's listening to this podcast. It actually is mind blowing. Um, we just, got to 37 countries of listeners and um it shows how big the hockey world is but how small it is too right well it's uh it's an amazing thing that uh you know hockey just uh you, you hockey without borders let's call it that but um it's a funny thing because now with inline hockey as well like inline hockey has taken off and is very very popular especially in in uh in europe and in Afri african countries in south america so it's just a different brand of hockey, but that leads them tall. They're like the NHL uh, hockey that they get to see is, is made hockey very, very popular around the world. Yeah, no, I, and the apps, they can be global, like the podcast. I never in my wildest dreams when I had my first beer with pigs in episode one thought that we'd be getting to 20,000 lessons in 37 countries, but, and your app sounds like it's taking off and um, the demo that, um, like people can see when they go to the website is incredible. Um, like it's, it's, it's perfect actually for what a coach could use to uh, help them be a successful coach. But um, so, yeah, how did you come up with that idea? Well, people that know me, you know, when they, they see that, they know that I'm, I'm one of the owners of the company. They said, did you create that? I said, Oh yeah, sure. In the back of the bus, you know, like road trips, but I didn't have anything else to do. I just, you know, wrote up this software and the software. Program. No, I know you didn't make the software, no. but did you, whose idea was it? 
Well, uh, I met uh, my partner was actually right out of university. The, the, the basis of the drill creator was his master thesis in animation. So he was a hockey guy too. So when he met me, he was right out of school and, and he was just getting started. So when I saw it, it kind of hit me like a lightning bolt. So, I mean, I really liked the concept right away. So we got involved and uh, we created a company and uh, I kind of uh, bankrolled them for the first couple of years and allowed them to work full time and develop it. And now we've been together for about six years now. So uh, it's been it's been a heck of a ride and uh, it's, it's very exciting. Like every day brings something new. Like we've got some really exciting partnerships going on and and working with the different federations in Europe. Uh, we're working, I think, with six different federations now in Europe. And uh, it's it's been a heck of a ride. Uh, but hockey in general, like the whole career has been a heck of a ride. I just, I just uh, when you started, you started off the broadcast by saying I'm 66 years old, Wally. I mean, that's not the great way to start the broadcast. Right there. That's I mean, how I start. Sorry, I didn't mean to, <laughs> you know, but like you don't sound like you're 66 year old, years old and you don't act like it. Um, no, I certainly don't. Act, I certainly don't act. Like no, that. like that's how busy you are still. Most people would be slowing down and easing into retirement. It sounds like you're full go here and um, you're Son also said you're one of the biggest ski bums in uh, Utah or Salt Lake, right? Well, that's why I keep working. Well, that's the only reason I keep working. I got to find a way to pay for my skiing. But uh, but yeah, I became, uh, I, I was very fortunate in my career. I got to play in some really great ski places, like starting in Salt Lake City. I uh, played in Salt Lake City for two years. And when I went to Europe, I went to Grenoble, which is right in the Southern Alps region. And then to Gap for five years, again, in the Southern Alps region. And then in Switzerland, like the whole country is covered with mountains. So, I mean, uh, it's been great. So I've always loved uh, to ski. It was actually my wife, Julie, that taught me how to ski. You know, when I, when I was, when I first met her, like when we were dating, that was some of the dates we go out. She basically taught me how to ski. But uh, yeah, it's uh, the whole family skis. And it's been something that I've really, uh, really enjoyed over the years. Keeps me, oh, keeps me yeah. going. No, skiing is a fantastic thing to do. And the places you've lived, I'm sure you've done some of the best skiing out there. So we got to get into this because uh, we got about uh, your 66. Sorry, I didn't say that you're 46, but we got about 60 years of pro hockey to go through. So we better yeah. get moving here. eh? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, I, are you actually from Listowel? That's what the, the research team saw. I was, I was born in Listowel. So I was born in Listowel, but when I was about one month old, we moved to Milverton. Uh, and Milverton is the just... The four-wheel uh, drives. Yeah, absolutely. Both my uncles played for the four-wheel drives there in Milverton. So, uh, yeah, we were in Milverton until I was about 10 years old. And then we moved down to the Kitchener-Waterloo area. That's how I ended up with Elmira. So I played all my minor hockey in Elmira. Went to high school in Elmira and, of course, played uh, the one-year 1971 for the Myers Sugar Kings. And then got drafted by the Kitchener Rangers, and I played in my in the OHL uh, for the Kitchener Rangers for three years. Yeah, and you were a fifth overall pick, out, and that was out of the Sugar Kings. That's a high pick. No, that was out of the Kitchener Rangers. That was a 1974 draft, I think, uh, out of the out of the Kitchener Rangers. So, um, okay. no, I mean, yeah. yeah, like when you got drafted, to Kitchener. Oh, when I got drafted, no, I was fourth overall. Right, like I was the first first round draft draft choice, fourth overall to Kitchener. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's high. Uh, so either that scout didn't have a clue or <laughs> I used to be pretty good at one time. I haven't quite figured that out. Yet, I think so. you are pretty good by the looks of things here. Um, so then what when do you get drafted by the New York Rangers and by the WHA team? And that would have been the team, right? Gretzky wouldn't have been there yet, but that's the team he would have played for in that league. 
Yeah, that, I believe that was the spring of 75. Uh, uh, that was the spring of 75, I believe. And um, yeah, with uh, getting you drafted, get drafted that to time, two leagues. Yeah, I get drafted to two leagues. I mean, uh, New York offered me a contract right away. The racers, Indianapolis basically said, well, you can come to camp and bring your own equipment. So it wasn't hard to make a choice of which way I was going to jump. So uh, signed with the Rangers. And uh, it was a great experience. I had a great time with the New York organization. My first training camp, great memories there uh, of, of just sitting because I was the first, the first four rounds, the first four draft choices. I might have been a fifth round, but I was, the, I think, their fourth choice. And uh, the top four choices went directly to the big camp. So I was right in the, the main dressing room. I was sitting between John Rattel and Brad Park, who were like two of the, the people I idolized like growing up and sitting there in the, in the, uh, the same dressing room with these guys. And wow. uh, that was really something. And then in my second year, as I got called up and I got, I got to play two games there. I played the first game I played and I flew in. I flew into Chicago, played my first game in Chicago. And the next day we were playing Montreal Canadiens uh, in Madison Square Gardens. And they were about to win their fourth Stanley Cup in a row. So that was very impressive. And it was kind of a fun game to play because I had two of my ex-teammates playing in Montreal that time. So they just about broke their, their necks, snapping their heads around when they saw me skating around the ice in warm-up. They didn't expect to see me there, that's for sure. But I'll just tell you one story, two stories at that time, actually. As uh, we're, I, I'm, I'm on the ice and there's a face-off in our zone. And I lined up face-to-face -face with Guy Lafleur at the face-off, like on the, on the sideboards, right? And of course, my focus might not have been exactly what it should have been because I'm thinking to myself, man, I hope somebody takes a picture of this. You know, like me standing right beside Guy Lafleur, who for the people that have to look back, like Guy Lafleur was the Wayne Gretzky or the Sidney Crosby of those days. He was a superstar. Oh, and yeah. So would he have time, been in his prime around then or where? Yeah, he? yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, he would have been prime time. Like those guys were rolling. That, those, that was the that was the like the late 77, 76, 77. You know, like they had guys on that team, like uh, Rod Shutt and Larry Robinson and Ken Dryden was in that. I mean, they had just a phenomenal team. And after the game, uh, es Phil Esposito was playing on our team. So Esposito, after the team, he kind of, all the time I was there, he kind of took me under his wing. He says, do you want to go out for a beer after the game? And I'm thinking, nah, Espo, I want to go back to my hotel room. I said, hell yeah. I said, let's go have a beer. So we're walking in and Madison Square Garden is on the fourth or fifth floor of, of Penn Station. So we've got to take the elevator down to the parking lot. So I get into the elevator with Esposito and we're standing there. And then all of a sudden, uh, Serge Savard and Guy Lapointe come walking up to get in the elevator. And they kind of look and they didn't know to get in or not get in. And you've got a picture. You have to pick out a silhouette of these guys. They had a couple of big beaks, both of these guys. But anyways, Esposito from nowhere. He says, if you guys get in here and line your noses up just right, we can all fit in the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, that got, that got him laughing. But they knew each other. Like They, they had played together in Canada Cup and, and uh, international play, but they didn't know who I was. You know, so, uh, but anyways. Well, but you get, into the ho you get into the hotels with guys, though, and you're, you're with your team. Yeah. I, you know, when I was, even in the UK league, like, it's just kind of an unwritten rule. If you and the other team show up at a hotel at the same time, they'll get in the elevator that we'll take the next one. Right. Or yeah, yeah, we're yeah, getting yeah. in, yeah. you take the next yeah. one. Like we're yeah. not, we're not all getting in there. So you guys actually all got in there together. Oh, right? We all, yeah. They lined their noses up just right. And we all fit in there, you know, but it was tight. It was close. It was close. <laughs> well, you were with some legends there. eh? Oh, I, I mean, it was really a kind of a cool thing is that, um, for many years, like what they had before they had internet and that, uh, the, 
this group called the Black Di or Diamond Associates used to put out the NHL official guide every year, and they would have all the records of all the players who ever played would be in the back of that book, right? So in the back of the book, for my stats, for a number of years, they only showed me playing one game. And now, for a number of years, I was working for uh, a TV company in Europe called Eurosport. And uh, Eurosport is kind of like the TSN or ESPN of Europe. So anyways, we'd be off doing a world championships. And of course, we'd be using that book. And they would always ask me, so Larry, how many games you play in the NHL? I said, I played two. And then they'd flip that book up in front of my face and ah, it only says you played one. So after a couple of years of this, I actually wrote to Dan Diamond, the, 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 the publisher. And I said, dear Mr. Diamond, I said, my memory's not that great, but I specifically remember being in two games in NHL and I played in both games. Could you please correct the stats because my buddies are busting my ass every time we get together. So he was great. He wrote me back and he said, he went back, he went, he was down in the, in the archives at, at the NHL hall of fame in the archives. And he pulled the two game sheets and he photocopied them. He sent me the two game sheets of, of the two games that I played there. So when I look at that, I can show my kids. I said, look at that. I was on the ice at the same time. When you think of, you think of the Chicago Blackhawks that time, Montreal Canadians, the number of hall of famers, just in those two teams, it was pretty amazing like to be on the ice at the same time with those. Uh, so yeah, I only played two games, but I had great memories and I, I'm very grateful that I got to at least play two. Okay. Quick, quick question. When does the expansion thing happen? How many teams were in the league then? Oh man. Well, uh, that was like, the, like, uh, Oh, the expansion. Yeah. I tell people, yeah, I only played uh, two games, but you have to remember there was only 21 teams in the league. And that's that what time. I was thinking is that <laughs> if the league was like it was now, you would have been <laughs> on a team. You, well, you, you never know. You never that's know. right. But, uh, but, it's true that there was 21 teams. So what is there now? 32 or something? I don't even know what I've lost track of how many teams there are. But yeah, there certainly are a lot more. But, you know, growing up, I remember 1967 when they expanded, they went from six teams to 12 teams. That was big news. That's a lot you know, more jobs. That, oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, but then it goes the other way as well, because uh, my last year I, I was with the, uh, like the, I guess after year two uh, with the St. Louis organization. I was kind of disappointed that I hadn't gotten a shot with the top team. So I had asked my agent to see if we could get a buyout. I had one more year left in my contract with St. Louis. And uh, they called him back. He said, yeah, sure, they can arrange that. So we just signed the paperwork. And three days later, the WHA folds. So there's like me and 220 other free agents on the market. So my timing, Wally, there wasn't that great. So, no, uh, you probably would have stayed for the next year. Yeah, eh? I should have stayed one more year with St. Louis. But as it turned out, I went back and played in Fort Year in the International League. I had a great season, and then I went to Europe. I turned, I, and I never looked back. So yeah. it worked out really well for me going to Europe. Uh, it, it really kind of made my career. I had a great time playing, and then, of course, I got into my coaching career. Um, okay, well, you're trying to skip ahead on me because I got um, – a question of my own is what's an NHL training camp like back then? <laughs> Certainly different than it is now. That's no, sure. I'm sure. I mean, at the, the, I think it was my first, my first camp, uh, or was my second, I think it was my, my, my first camp, uh, with, uh, with New York, they just finally got an off ice trainer. So this was something new, like nobody did any off ice training. So like in the mornings, they actually made us run wall to warm up. We That's had to run along the boardwalk. We're out in Long Island running along the boardwalk. Well, Esposito, he stashed a package of cigarettes in this one bush, and he would be at the back of the line, and he would, he would, ju he would jump out. He would be in the bush, have a cigarette, 
and wait for everybody to go run and come back and then jump back into the end of the line and then back into the rink. That was his warm up for the morning. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the, the stories of the way it used to be to the way it is now, my goodness, eh? Well, it was at that time when the guys used to show up to get into shape. I mean, I mean, Pete Stemkowski, Pete Stemkowski on a good, on a slim day was probably about 235 pounds. But I remember he got in trouble with the IRS because he tried to write off his pool table as train. Like that was how he was training in the summer was playing snooker, walking around his pool table. So, uh, but uh, those guys, when I showed up, I was in great shape. My first training camp. So the rookies, they've got a great jump on these guys, but after about four or five days, these guys are starting to come on and you can see why these guys are NHL players. I mean, their, their skill level is, is pretty incredible, but yeah. uh, talking about, about Stemmer, when Stemkowski, one of the first times he came down on me, he went wide and tried to cut in around me. Like in junior, I would just straight iron. I just get my arm up and I was big enough and strong enough. I could just ride him out to the side. Well, it was just like a turnstile. He spun me around so fast. My head was dizzy. So uh, it was then I said, wow, I'm playing with men. Now these, these are pretty big guys. I'm playing with. Oh yeah. It, you don't sound like you were that small from the fighting stories and all that, but yeah, like it's when you see the real big guys, like even when I got to the AHL and I saw like the big, big guys, yeah. it's a whole different size of human, right? Well, you know, like in uh, some of the, some of the players uh, like you played against that time, like back in the day, they're that much bigger now. Like I was, I was like six foot three and probably played at about 200, 210 pounds. So I was a big defenseman at that time. But now like, I'm kind of like an average size winger, like uh, at the NHL level, but uh, that's just the, the, the players have just gotten better. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, they're more talented uh, right. training techniques. I mean, everything is just much, much better. Yes, I agree. Um, okay. When part of my pod is I always ask about kids and stuff. So I brought up Bretsky, your son, Brett, but uh, yeah. Um, what what else do you got grandkids uh, I, I think you got what do you got what all you got well i've got uh I, we've got uh, two boys and a girl so uh brett the oldest son and then stephanie is my my daughter and then my youngest son is ryan so ryan played as well ryan uh played four years university university of utah uh brett of course played the sugar kings went on and played a season and part of a season at saint lawrence and then a geneseo uh at university level and uh yeah that's kind of a hockey family and then now uh brett and his wife aaron we have just presented us with a little granddaughter named eloise and so that's our first granddaughter she's just about to turn uh, nine months old and she is a super little cutie oh awesome way to go good work that yeah that's that's incredible congratulations to everybody um (laughs) okay where are we now we were kind of went through everything but salt lake kind of uh that's been a connection your whole life now right the the the, the pro years you played there and um your son still lives there doesn't he yeah all the kids all our children live there in salt lake so um they've really become attached to to utah and uh it's great salt lake is uh, utah is a great state Uh, salt lake city is a great great town and uh yeah i love i love utah i mean anybody that loves the outdoors if you like uh hunting fishing hiking uh skiing uh, you have it there in Utah. So I really, really love the outdoors and, and, uh, we've got world-class skiing there and, and, uh, and hiking and, uh, again, fishing and hunting, like whatever you want to do, it's there for you. Okay. My curious question is how do they end up there? Did you have them when you were playing there or does that where you summered when you were over there? 
Yeah. Well, my wife being from Ogden, Utah, I mean, when we used to come back in the summertime, first of all, all three, all three of our children were born in France. So Brett and Stephanie were born in the southern part of France, Gap, and, and Ryan was born in Rouen in the northwest up near the English Channel. So they were all born in French. They're all French citizens. They have triple nationality. They're, they're, they're French and Canadian through me because I have a French passport as well. And they're also American through uh, Julie. So every summer we would come home. Uh, we would spend some time in Utah and then we would spend some time here at our cottage here in Ontario. Uh, but there was a few times where if I didn't have a job, like if I, I was in between teams, as they say in the coaching biz, uh, they would start the school year in Utah. So they would be at my in-laws place and then, then they would come over and I would get a job typically end of October, beginning of November. And they would come over during the school break for a couple of weeks in Europe. One time I was in Switzerland, one time I was in Norway um, and uh, they would spend a couple of weeks and then boom, I would just finish the season alone and then head back, uh, head back to Utah and then back to Canada. So they spent a, a fair amount of time in Utah and, uh, and Canada too, but it just seemed like professionally the way things worked out against, Again, uh, my, my youngest son going to University of Utah. My daughter went to University of Utah. And uh, so that just kind of formed that natural bond with, uh, with Utah. Okay. Yeah, no, now it makes sense. And uh, so, yeah, your, your kids are very international too. My kids were born in Germany and Wales. Um, yeah, and my wife's American. But they didn't get uh, German or the British passports. But anyways, moving on. You play... 14 seasons in France. We got to move on out of the USA here. 14 sure. seasons in, in France. So you do three in Grenoble, five in, is a gap, they say, yeah. and then six years in Rouen total. But what, like, what's the French league like back then? Because I don't, I don't want to upset anybody here, but like when I was in pro at my age, they were signing the French Canadians. They were not signing guys from Listowel or Milverton, <laughs> Ontario. Yeah. And yeah. the guys that were from Milverton, Ontario, when they went there, they didn't really enjoy it. Yeah. Well, let's say that back in the day, uh, it, I was an oddity in France for sure, because when I first went over to France in 1980, uh, the league was very, it was just on the verge. It was trying to become professional, but uh, a lot of teams, some of the teams were professional. Most of them were semi-professional. They might have a couple of professionals on the team, but, um, you know, it was, it was a different world back then for sure. Like there was no agents involved. I just basically wrote, uh, wrote letters to 76 teams all over Europe, uh, put together a bit of a resume and I got three offers out of it. Uh, one in Denmark and then two in France. And I ended up uh, accepting the job in Grenoble. And you did and it yourself? Out, yeah, I did it all by myself, all myself, just, uh, just, and then of course there's no television, just the snail mail. So it was, you know, air post, you know, like, like writing back and forth. You imagine the amount of time it took like to kind of negotiate and go back and forth and, you know, just to trust, you didn't see anything. And they basically wanted some newspaper articles. Uh, but I think what happened is I had a couple of nice letters from some NHL people. I had a very, very nice letter of recommendation from Amo, Mr. Amo Francis who drafted me, he was the GM in New York. And then the, he was the GM in St. Louis when he signed me and brought me into St. Louis. Uh, so he, he gave me a very, very nice uh, uh, letter of recommendation. So I'm sure that carried a lot of weight. When you see a letter from Emil Francis with the St. Louis Blues uh, logo on it, I think that carried a lot of weight. And would. Uh, it was a great time. But that time the hockey was different. Like you played one game a week on Saturday nights and you had three practices uh, a week. 
at about 4.30 in the afternoon. And that was it. There was no off ice. There was nothing. You basically showed up for practice. You did practice. You played on Saturdays. And you parted your face off Saturday night until the wee hours. And so what, that was, what was that the was money kind of like? Uh, the money wasn't, I mean, it was, it was okay. I mean, uh, at that time, like coming, I think my first contract in, in France was for $14,500 us net. So there was no tax on that. They paid for my apartment. They paid for my schooling there. Cause I was going to university full time as well. Uh, so I had so much free time. So it was actually a pretty good deal. Like for coming out of the miners, like people in the miners at that time, back in, in that time, they, they were making maybe, you know, 30, 40, 50 uh, guys weren't making, there were some that are making up to hundred, but most of the guys are making around 40 or 50. So if you're making 15 us tax free, uh, that was decent. And that was my first year after that, of course, uh, started to make uh, bigger, bigger money, but it was not really a money thing that took me there. I was looking for an experience and, and what an experience it was. So I went to uh, university of domain full-time uh, learning French. So after two years, I'm a qualified French teacher outside of uh, outside of france something to fall back on while if the whole hockey thing doesn't work out so, <laughs> I, th I think the app's going to do just fine hockey yeah, coach yeah. vision folks yeah it, it's, it's going to work it's going to work out and uh so it just got to travel the country i just loved france i just loved it i had great teammates I had a lot of fun just so much fun and uh it was it was a great experience so i was in france there again well you should you cut me short though i won uh we won uh three uh championships uh or wait let me let me get this straight now two championships as a player and then four as a player coach in france so uh yeah we won two championships uh my first two years we were in grenoble so we got off to a great start and then i got my french passport hold on a, what you yep. won in grenoble we won two championships in grenoble yeah i so yep. you won two as a player and then i thought you won all four. the championships in ruin no, no, we won four in Rouen as a player coach, but uh, six total. But uh, oh man, sorry, yeah, so, yeah, sorry. so we had a, we had a, we had a great ride. So that whole thing in Rouen just just happened, you know. I just uh, I was thinking about coaching as I got my early thirties, and I started to have my own ideas about how I might run a team and how I would like to play the game. And I had this opportunity come about where they were looking for a player coach in Rouen, and they we hit it off. I went up there in one day. I uh, met the president, took the train up uh, from the south part of France. We took the train up in one day. Uh, we got my deal done. Uh, we gassed seven players and we signed four more on one day. But I had, I had lined up. I had lined up a bunch of guys ahead of time saying, look, it, I might be going to Rouen. Will you come with me if I go? And uh, so we made a big change. And again, when you talk about the things that we, the things that you're proud of, uh, one of the things I'm proud of when I went to Rouen, the, the team had never finished any higher than sixth place ever in the history of the club. Uh, when I got into Rouen, we finished in first place six years in a row. And uh, it was really something. I mean, I had a lot of help. I mean, uh, and I, I surrounded myself. I was smart enough to surround myself with very good players, which allowed me to make mistakes early in my career. But they covered up for me because we had so many good players. And our president was very ambitious, not only for France, but for Europe. Uh, so that team, uh, within those uh, those years, we went to four uh, European Cup uh, semifinals. And out of those four, we made it to the finals twice. And that was the first time that had ever been done by a French team going to... Is that uh, the Continental Cup? No, that was that was different. That was the European Cup. So that was strictly champions. That was like a, a, a tournament format with strictly champions from each country. So 
uh, it was the best of the best. So, so it's like, like the Champions Hockey League now, but now they have yeah, like exactly, three or four exactly. Teams for so, this I mean, the one year we went to the finals, we were, we had, we played like with uh, a Dinamo French Moscow. team. You went to the finals. Yeah, Dinamo Moscow was there. Uh, Jokerit in Finland, Jokerit Helsinki. Uh, so we were playing with the big boys, and yeah. we didn't we weren't out of place. I mean, it was a heck of a ride. So that be kind of came be kind of our rallying. So did you have now. a big budget compared to the other French teams? Yes, we did. Absolutely, we did. So uh, we 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 had a we had a bigger budget. I don't know if we had the biggest budget, but we certainly had one of the bigger budgets. So and we we had a very very good team. We had some very really we had some really great players on that team, and we just seemed to all work together very well. So that kind of that bought me a ticket into the Swiss League. So okay, but hold on, hold on. Yeah. No, I got to stop you there. What okay. was it like being a player coach? Well. It was, it was kind of a natural progression for me. I mean, so I, were I learned, you the captain when you were the player? No, no, no. I was the coach. I had captains and assistants, so I was just the coach, but I would no, say, but my, I mean the, like when you were the player before, oh, when I was, a, I'd been captain on different teams. I was a captain in Kitchener. I was a captain in France on different teams. Right. But, so you, uh, you're just, you were a leader and you were a captain and then you, you're known around the league as a leader and, um, I guess a guy that wins around the league. So then when Ruen's looking for a player coach, you're at the top of the list as one well. Of the... they, they took a chance because I'd never coached before. But again, I had a letter of recommendation from one of my coaches. And in it, he basically said that like through our discussions and our, you know, the, the talks that we had in that, it, it was his, his thought that I thought that someday I would make a pretty good coach. That was his recommendation. I think that caught the president's eye, this recommendation from his coach. who was a pretty well-known coach. So, I mean, he rolled the dice with me. He didn't know what he was going to get, but he was thought he was going to save money because he was getting a coach and a defense for the same price. Right. So uh, he wasn't, he wasn't silly, but it, it all worked, it all worked out for the, for the best. I think one of the most important lessons I learned as a coach was my very first team meeting that I had in the rink in Rouen. And I had all the players up in the gym, which is above the rink. And I went through and I laid out the season kind of goals and my expectations for everybody and how we're going to play. And at the end of the, at the end of the meeting, just as kind of a joke. And I said, and no matter what, I know that I can beat the shit out of every one of you guys in this room. And then there was kind of, you know, everybody kind of chuckled. And all of a sudden I heard this voice from the back of the room and said, not all of us at the same time, you can't. And that, that, and then then that got a big laugh. And then that always stuck with me. You know, I tell that story more often because as a coach, it doesn't matter how smart, how tough, how, how, whatever you have, if you don't have the team with you, you are not going to have success. Absolutely. And that was, that was lesson number one. That's a great lesson for every coach though. If the team isn't with you, you ain't going anywhere, but no, you're right. right. You got to find a way. Before we get out of France, though, I got a couple random ones here because I like food. What's French food like? Oh, man, it was it was really great. It's different. I mean, I, I love food from all over the world. French food was really great. And like one of the things that was really interesting for me through my university, part of my course was I got as was the uh, French cooking course. So oh. every Wednesday afternoon, we had like two hours blocked out where we would go downtown into one other part of the university. And uh, a couple of these retired Cordon Bleu chefs would show up. They would buy all the groceries and then they'd start cooking and we'd all help. We'd all, we'd all get in there and we'd, we'd start cooking and we'd take notes and then we'd cook this meal up and then we'd sit down. They pull out a few bottles of wine and we all sit around and eat the meal and then talk. We would just talk about our countries because it was such an international school. Everybody comes to the school to learn French. 
I just happened to be there to play hockey. But I had I had students in there from Cambodia, from Mexico, from Peru, of course, a lot of Brits and Canadians and Americans. But I had from from Israel, from Iran. I mean, we had we had uh, kids from all over the world. And so it was really a great experience. So, but, but that was kind of my introduction to French food. And then when I went to Gap, I ended up coaching the son of this this restaurant owner who was a Cordon Bleu guy too. I, like yet he was a four star restaurant. And anyways, he invited me. I told him about my love of cooking, my interest in cooking. He loved me to drop by. Well, after the first couple of days, his sous chef quit. And I ended up actually taking on the job of his sous chef. So I would work there like five mornings a week, like uh, learning all this French cooking. And uh, what really? I learned, Wally, as much as I thought I was going to own my own restaurant someday, that convinced me that no way. I, I mean, understand. you have to be totally committed uh, yeah. to, to, to be in the restaurant business because it's a lifestyle. It's a life choice because it, there's just always something to do. But yeah, uh, yeah the, the food, to answer your question, like, the French food was wonderful. Yeah, no, I, uh, I like cooking, but you're right. That would be a, for a job, uh, for a yeah. career, that would be a, an exhausting thing. I like cooking a nice meal, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I'm just curious. Cause like yourself, you lived all over the world. I didn't travel as much as you, but I love food from all over too. And when you start tasting all the different stuff, you're like, wow, there's a lot of different ways to make food, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is, this is one of the greatest things that I loved about Europe was all the different cultures and the different foods. Like, of course, living in France for so many years and then going to Switzerland, like being in the German part and then being in the French part and the Italian part, each has their own language and each has their own culture and each has their own food. So you got the spirit. It's a very small country, but you go from one corner of the country to the other and it changes dramatically. Then, of course, going to Austria and then Germany and then Sweden. So you've got all these different cultures with all these different foods. And you know something? I haven't found a country yet where I didn't like the food, but there's been a lot of countries I haven't tripped to yet, Wally. So uh, there's a few I'm not so sure I want to go to. Yeah, there's some places where the food's just like not really that memorable, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't know. Denmark was into like cakes. I don't like cakes, right? But they had a good hot dog game, but that's about it. Okay. Um, Moving on. I just had something I was going to ask. Why did you stay in France so long? Because Obviously, you're a good player. You had had a heck of a North American career. Once you get over to Europe and people in Europe see you can play and you're a big body over there and uh, you were putting up some pretty good numbers for a big boy. Um, why do you stay in France? Why not as a player go to Germany or anywhere else? Well, you know, I'm the type of person that if I get into a place I like, I, I stick around for a while. So like I was three years in Grenoble and five in Gap. And I loved it in Gap. I mean, it was great. And, and had the team not gone bankrupt, I probably would have been there for a few more years. But and then getting into Rouen, like it was, uh, it was such a great situation because we had a winning team. And and for the kids, it was great because my my, my children were small. I didn't want to move. We didn't want to move around a lot. Uh, they grew up uh, speaking French like fluently, like like with no accent whatsoever. They and they still got that. School. Oh yeah, yeah. They're 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 all they're they're all very gifted in languages. Uh, but so. We had our house there in Rouen. We had the same place. So it was a very stable, uh, stable time. Like between Gap and Rouen, we only moved once in 11 years. And how so long are your contracts? Well, they're generally, you know, when you go into a place, I always used to uh, insist on having at least a two-year contract. Then after that, they were kind of like year to year. Sometimes I would do a two-year deal, but mostly it was year to year because if they're happy and I'm happy, things are going to work out. So again, like 
I was six years in Rouen. I probably could, I could have stuck around longer, but I knew after six years, it was time to go. I should have probably left after five, uh, but it was time to go. And then, um, then I just had this opportunity. I had the opportunity to go to Switzerland and uh, that's where I wanted to go. And ended up, uh, it worked out uh, very well. No, I totally understand trying to leave France then. Like you've proven what that basically the way I look at it is you've proven like as a player coach, you're a good player, but it kind of seems like you're a better coach, not to hurt your feelings. No, no, it's true that I made my reputation more on the international scene and like at, in the bigger leagues as a coach. Like I was only one coach, a team, right? There's 25 players. That's right. And I mean, to coach some of the teams, I've coached some of the biggest teams in Europe. So that's, uh, that is, uh, I had a heck of a ride as a coach, uh, as a player, um, you know, it's, it's funny how things happen in your life. I think that, uh, things could have worked out a little bit differently, but at the end of it, I think it worked out great that, my career in the North, uh, like in North America, I only got to play two games. I thought that, you know, I, I could have made a team. I, I was gonna, never going to be a superstar, but I take a look at some of the guys I played against and they seem to have, you know, fairly good steady careers. And I was that type of defenseman. Yeah. Uh, but um, it, it all worked out for the best. I mean, things happen. Uh, I had a motorcycle accident after my, uh, my first year pro. I had a great first year pro. I was uh, uh, runner-up rookie of the year in the American Hockey League. And uh, then I, uh, I had a motorcycle accident in the spring and it set me back about a year and a half. Like I was in hospital for six weeks. I broke my arm, popped my back. And uh, it took me a couple of years to get back where I was before. By that time, you're three or four years in the minors and you're pretty much pigeonholed. You, so, we never even told that story going through that. That's a big deal. Well, it's not one of my prouder moments. Let's put it that way. But I it definitely, no, I definitely, it de- definitely did change the, the course of my career. It, it, it definitely did change the course because I had a really great uh, rookie season as a, as a pro. Yeah. And, you're uh, second runner up for the HL. Yeah, year so I was it. looking, I was looking, I lost out to my teammate, actually Greg Holstead. And so I was, I was looking to have a big camp and a shot at the Rangers the next year, but that just, I was, uh, it took me a couple of years to get back. I could barely walk. I couldn't run. To try to get ready for training camp that year, I was. I was. Did you play camp. right from the start? No, no, I, I couldn't. I didn't play. I didn't play to Christmas in the second year. Uh, so it was shortly after that. I was training, but I couldn't play. And oh. so it was shortly, like when I came back, I maybe only played maybe ten games before I got called up to the Rangers. So I wasn't, you know, in the greatest of shape and the greatest of time. But I got to play a couple of games. So it took me into my the next year. I got traded. I got. I went. I signed with St. Louis. And my first year there, it was kind of like an up and down kind of year. And but it wasn't until my my second year with Salt Lake in the Central League where I really got back and I was I was back to where I where I was before and playing really well. But what happened is after my second year in Salt Lake, I still had one more year left in my contract with St. Louis. And after the playoffs, I had a great playoff run, uh, good season. I was I was teamed up with a with a defenseman named Neil Komodowski. Uh, Neil was uh, an, ex- an experienced guy, at NHL experience, and we hit it off really well. Didn't miss a shift and played really well all season long. So, you know, after this run, I'm thinking, okay, I'm ready for a shot with with the Blues, right, with St. Louis. So I had my agent uh, call uh, Emil Francis at the end of the season to find out what my chances were for making St. Louis the next year. And that's when you that's when you decide. Uh, well, leave. yeah, he calls me. He calls me back about 20 minutes later, and he says, "Well, Larry, put it this way: they're about a thousand to one." And I thought, a thousand to one? I said, "We got to be able to get a better chance someplace else because I really wanted. I really felt that I you I were ready. ready. You're I good was ready. enough. I, 
I felt I was ready. And anyways, and then I said, like, I, 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 I settled my contract and three days later, the WHA folds. So there was just all these free agents all over the place. So but you know got, what? And that's married. where things kind of happen for a reason, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, absolutely. I don't know. That's kind of how it works, right? Like the, the, the path you carved out as a coach right. and yeah. who you are as a person now and like where your kids were born, the life you've led, none of that even happens. Yeah, it would never it, happen. None of it happens, right? No, it, so it's, it's, I mean, I don't even I know bubbles. People, I wouldn't even well, know well, bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't, uh, I, I say that the Lord works in mysterious ways. Like sometimes you have to look back to see how the pieces move together. I like we're we're in we're in charge of our own destiny. We we we've been given the power of choice, and it's the choices that we make that really is going to determine our destiny. And we and the choices that we make is going to form our character, and it's our character that's going to form our destiny. So it all works back, and it's only when you look back in time you see how all the pieces kind of fit together. And uh, I it, again, it's been a heck of a ride. I'm very grateful uh, for the for the career that I've had, everything that that hockey has given me, and continues to give me, and. Uh, it's uh it, again right. it's, it, it's all worked out it's all worked out you're right okay now i'm ready sorry for slowing you down because i know we've been going a while and we're not even into your coaching really we've only been player coaches but i'm sorry i get in i i like getting into this okay all right um, I, my bad I, I like your enthusiasm okay <laughs> my my bad is so you uh how do you get out of the french league which i understand it now you're playing against all the top dogs and right. the, the top leagues are seeing that you're a coach bringing a French team to that like Champions League final. So then you do get a chance in the Swiss A-League, which folks that know the pod know that is like that's that's the hockey player's dream. If you're not in the NHL, that's where every import wants to go. Right. Exactly. Well, they want to go there because it's it's, out, it's outside the KHL in Russia. It's the highest paid league in, in Europe. So. And it's, the uh, and it's, it's a going. nice country. It's a great league. The style of hockey is, is really great. It's fast. A lot of skilled players there. So yeah, it's a great place to live and coach. So if you, if you can be in Europe, Switzerland is the number one address to be for sure. I, so yeah, how it worked out. I mean, it worked out that again, getting onto the map, we won four national championships and went to two European cup finals. So <laughs> that kind of made a mark for us. So when I got a chance to go and interview, uh, with some teams. I went and interviewed with four different teams. Question, uh, quick question. Yep. You didn't have an agent as a player going to Europe. Do you have an agent as a coach? I didn't have an agent then as a coach either. I did everything myself. Did you I always do it yourself? All. I did. Yeah. I never, all the time I was, I was there. It was only when I was in Switzerland after a few years that I took on an agent when I was in Switzerland after a number of years, I think. And, uh, but most of the time up until then, even going to Switzerland, I did everything myself. I contacted the clubs. I talked to them. I went and did my own deals. I had a lawyer. Like when I went to Switzerland, I had a Swiss lawyer that would actually do the, the, the actual contract, but the negotiation part of it and like contacting them and doing all that, I did that on my own. Yeah. So, as a, as a player, when I did it on my own, the last few years, it was way more fun. I enjoyed and because I, I knew people by then. Right. And then you can just call them and you get your answer yeah. there. Then they tell you, they're like, well, we're looking at this guy or that guy, or, you know, you know, right away, or they offer you and say, well, this is all we can give you, but I think you might want more. And I'm like, yeah, maybe. And it's just so much more honest than, I don't know when I had the middle man, it just, you never knew what was really going on. 
No, I had some experiences. I learned early on. I said, you want to make things happen, you, you've got to make it happen. So, uh, and again, in the sport, especially like in, in coaching, it's so much about contacts and knowing people. Like people ask me all the time, well, Larry, you know, I'd like to go to Europe and coach. I said, well, yeah, get in line. I mean, there's, there's a lot of coaches that would like very, very good coaches that would like to go to Europe. But the problem is if you don't know anybody and they don't know you, oh, yeah. I said, it's very, it's very difficult. They're very reluctant to hire people they don't know. So I said, you have to take some time and invest some time and go meet the people. They have to, you have to introduce yourself. You have to be there in place and you have to have some discussions and you, you start to create a relationship and then you might get a shot, you know, because like for me, it was kind of an evolution. I went from player to player coaching and to, to coaching, but I was in Europe. I was already part of the kind of European country club. And then, uh, so once you get in there and I survived my first year in Zurich and then uh, we had some success in my second year which allowed me to get the job in Omri. I had uh, four years in Omri and where we had actually quite a, a lot of success. Okay. We one, one second here. One second. This is the Thresher Belgian wit beer. Okay. Um, there we go. But it sounds um, delicious. It sounds delicious. And it is. That's from the Bayfield Brewing Company. Um, but the question, oh man. So Zurich, quite the city though. Like, so you, what was your favorite quickly? Cause I like cities and food. Favorite city in France first. Favorite city in France. My favorite city, like where I lived or my favorite city? Mm, either. Yeah, well, you know, man, I, I, I liked every place that, that, that I lived. I mean, Paris is phenomenal, but Paris not to live. I love spending time in Paris just right. because there's so much interesting stuff to do and see. But uh, for living, I lived, I love living in Gap, which is a small village in the Southern Alps surrounded by mountains and uh, just the whole atmosphere and there. And skiing. And oh, yeah, the skiing. The skiing was fantastic. But I just loved the whole vibe of the whole town. It was you had a small town vibe uh, right in the Southern Alps. The weather was lovely. Uh, it was great. I mean, my first city, Grenoble, I had a lot of fun there. Uh, but it was an open city and a bigger city. It was, it was different. And then Rouen, just the weather was so nasty. But we had a lot of success there, met a lot of good people. But just it was just rain there all the time. But um, yeah, so, but uh, I would say, yeah, definitely Gap. And then favorite place to visit was obviously Paris. Absolutely. Okay. Sorry for not, okay. Now Zurich is a great city. And that's, what's funny is when you're a second league German as a player and like, we just drove through Zurich one night and all the guys in our team on the bus were so excited that we were going through Zurich and like, look at all the action around here. Like yeah. there, that's a big city, eh? There's a lot happening around there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big it's a big city. So it was it was great for us to land there because they had international schools. So like coming from France, our children were able to go. They had an international French school there, which was not far from where we lived. They got us a beautiful apartment uh, up on the hill above uh, Dubendorf, which is up kind of like so it was up. Your on kids the hill. were going to go to international French school instead of English. <laughs> they went, and you're from Bristol. Right. No, no, they're all born in France. I so, know that, uh, I mean, but you're from yeah. Westall. Yeah, but they were in the French, into the French thing. We wanted them to continue in the French school. So so they did that. They were in French schools there for a couple of years. And then we there, we went down the Italian part. So then they were in Italian schools for four years. So uh, they, they they picked up, they all speak Italian. They all speak German. They all speak French. Shut up. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah. But uh, that's for just, you know, moving around different things. But kids pick up languages so quickly. So I mean, how about uh, you though? Can you, you were in Switzerland where there's French, German, like, can you speak German? Can du sprechen ein bisschen Deutsch? Uh, yeah, sehr gut. 
Yeah. Well, I'll you played it. You coached in Germany, yes. right? So yeah, absolutely. But of course, like living in France for 13 years, so French is my second language. So and then uh, learns German. Uh, and you got to spend the time. You know, I went to school like when I was in Germany coaching. I went to school twice a week, uh, learning German. And then when I went down to uh, the Italian part. When I knew I was going down there, I didn't have much time because I was taken over for a coach that got fired. So I just went to a local library and bought my Berlitz, my Berlitz program in Italian with my cassette tapes and my book. And that's pretty much how I learned Italian. But from French to Italian, it's not a big stretch. Once you learn one foreign language, it's easy to learn the other one. So uh, and then being in, I was in the Italian part there for 12 or 13 years. So the Italian is comes very naturally. Oh, jeepers. So, you know, Italian french english german yep that's, that's right. it that's it and, and it's I when think are you going back big... to school geez you yeah. must be bored like you're you're yeah just well, i'm you're... struggling i'm struggling to speak english these days wally so it's not you a, sound not, fine yeah. to me <laughs> <laughs> um that's funny that a boy from uh or not listwell milverton or you know yeah. uh, oh, area knows that many languages you know yeah it's not a not a typical thing i think i probably hold the record for waterloo county i think for the number <laughs> of yeah. um, okay so when you coach Zurich the first time, though, I don't think they're the Zurich Lions, and I don't think they have that good of a budget. So are you guys like no. you get to the Swiss A League, but there's not yeah. that many expectations the first year, so it's not no. that bad. No, they had struggled to make the playoffs like for many, many, many years, and and no coach, no coach had lasted more than 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 two years, twenty five years in that team. So it was kind of a scandal club, like it was a lower club and it was it was a it was a hotbed situation. But I was pretty confident, like, you know, coming out, I was a hot shot coach coming out of just won four championships. And and I was going this I was going to take this on and I was going to beat this. But I realized pretty early on, if you don't have the horses, it's pretty hard to to get anything done. But those first the first year in Zurich, we had a hardworking bunch of guys, but they had budget problems. They had to let players go. So they let some of their best players go because they couldn't afford to keep them. So we had kind of a hodgepodge team, but it was a struggle to begin the season. And uh, we lost. We didn't win a game in our first uh, 12 games. We had t- three ties, but we didn't. And that was a 36-game schedule. So, and uh, I mean, everybody was breathing down our neck. It was a huge pressure. But anyways, I tell you, I learned a lot about coaching very quickly there. I learned more. I tell people I learned more in the first three months in Switzerland than in my last three years in Rouen. Because last three years in Rouen, we didn't lose very much. Yeah, there uh, wasn't and, any and, adversity. No, we had a winning culture. We had a winning team. We knew we were going to win the team. We went one year, we went one calendar year. We went from October to October without losing a game. <laughs> like one year. And uh, so then I go to Zurich, which had kind of a losing culture. They had a losing mentality, had a losing culture. And that was the most difficult thing to turn around was that losing culture. Yes. And when they, uh, when they're okay, when they're okay with seventh or eighth place or they're okay with 10th place and it's just okay. Oh, it's disgusting. That's when the goal is to, to, to eke into the playoffs. It's it's not the best. So anyways, we survived. We end up, we win in game 13 and one game 14, we end up making the playoffs and we had a pretty good run. We, we took, uh, we took Zoog to the deciding game in the quarterfinals. So it was a good first season. And then the next year, uh, we made a few changes. We improved the team. And at one point we were, you know, in third place that season. But uh, as things happen uh, near the end of the year, there was two games left to go in the season. We could finish third or we could finish eighth. That The league was that tight. And the president calls me in one afternoon with two games left to go in the season. And he calls me in and he says, Larry, he says, I don't know how quite to, to tell you this, but we've decided we need to make a change. 
and that uh, you're not going to be coaching here next year, but we want you to finish the season this year. And I said, what? I said, you know, we're, we're, we're two games, the playoffs. He said, yeah, but I've got this chance to, to sign this champion coach. And he's under a lot of pressure from everybody and the sponsors and everything else to make a move. And we're two games from the playoffs. We could finish in third. And he pulls it just in with, with a, with a slim budget. You can, Oh my gosh. Third. And then, and then they make this public, they have to announce this. It was just, you can imagine your two games to the playoffs. It was just crazy. Uh, anyway. Uh, and so then you basically have no job as soon as the no, season's I don't over. have a job. So I don't have a job. I, I start the next year. So I finished in Zurich and I, you I got kids in. and this is your first yeah. time getting fired. That's the first time. I mean, that's the first time I've ever been fired. Anyway. I've never been fired in my, yeah. I like not, I haven't been fired in anything, yeah. but, um, yeah. it's um, not, it's a, it's a bit of a shocker the first time around, but, uh, anyways, but things work out Wally. So after that, what happened is that I didn't start, uh, the next season. But I ended up uh, ended up going to Ombre in October, November uh, the next year, and it turned out to be one of the co- best coaching jobs I ever had. But so, so, I was so a- when you you get fired and you got little kids and a wife yeah. and you're back home and you're like, well, I'm a coach. Like, look at what I've done. I'm a coach, and I'm gonna get a job. And you're emailing all these teams. You're the one doing it because you got no agent still, right? That's right. Yeah. So, so are I'm, you waiting to see if everybody. somebody gets fired and then you're like, okay, I, well, yeah, at that, at that point, I think I did take on an agent at that point. Uh, and, um, so I did take on a, an agent at that time was working for me. And then, you know, as, as the way things go, like within like 24 hours, uh, you had two teams from the Italian part, Lugano and Ombre were both struggling. And within 24 hours, both of the presidents call me and they both tell me the same thing. So they're playing a game this weekend on the Sunday and they're playing against each other. And this is the big derby. You know, this is the big, the big rivalry, right? Like the, the, the Italian, the two Italian teams in Switzerland are playing each other on the Sunday. And he said, they're going to make a decision after the game about their coaching. So I got off the line the second time. And I said, Julie, I said, I don't know where we're going, but we're going to one of these, we're going to the Southern part of Italy. We're Whoever loses Italy. Sunday. Yeah, exactly. So it ended up that Ombre lost the game. And they fired the coach right after the game. They called me right after the game. I was on a plane within 24 hours, and I was back on the bench for their next game. And that's how fast it switched around. And that was that was really the start where my coaching career took off uh, in Ombre because uh, I got to work with again with some really good guys. We 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 formed some really good teams there. In year three, uh, we set a new league record for wins and points. Uh, we won the Continental Cup. We won the Super Cup. Uh, Super What's, Cup being European champions, we beat uh, we beat Magnetogorsk in a Super Cup final. Like uh, one game, European champions, one game final, and uh, and uh, a village of 400 people. Because the village of Ombre, if anybody looks up where Ombre is, it's just a little mountain town uh, right in the northern part of the Italian section of Ticino, in in uh, right before you go through the San Gotardo tunnel, and it's a little village of about 400 people, and we were European Cup, like Super Cup champions for Europe. So and who's paying for that? Scary. Who's footing the bill for that, uh, for a 400 person village? Who's paying for a hockey team? That's that good. Yeah. Well, Ombre is a, is a phenomenon in Switzerland. First of all, the country's not big, but Ombre had the reputation of being kind of the giant killers. Like it was the little village against the big, the big city. So we had fans, I think they had like 30, 32 or 33 fan clubs all over the world. So we would have fans from Italy that would come. We would have fans from all over the German part of Switzerland, from the French part of Switzerland. So we had, Ombre has fans all over the place. 
So it's just one of those things that's a phenomenon. And they just built a new rink. They've got the new rink opening up uh, this fall. It's going to be really cool. But the old rink. And they is, had to build it up in else. a mountain in Italy yep. or in it's Switzerland. It's right there. It's right. It's within 200, 200 meters of where the old uh, the old rink was. But uh, it's beautiful. Like the one that they built, it's going to be pretty cool. But the old one, it had it had quite uh, quite a story. It was open on both ends, right? There was just they had a it was covered, but there was no. So when that mountain wind was blowing, like sometimes it'd be snowing. It would be snowing up to the blue line in one end zone. You would be playing, and they'd have to stop and shovel the, the lake because we had snow blowing in. So, <laughs> and anyways, this is in was, the Swiss A League. <laughs> this is in the Swiss A League. Yeah, it was a unique place, unique place to, to, to coach and play. But I loved it. I, I again in the mountains, had great skiing. The food I've was never fantastic. Kn- yeah, I've yeah, never known them it. to have a big budget, though. That team. No, no, they we didn't have a big budget, but we and we you had a won great the team. Champions League. Type yeah, we thing. did. Super and we Cup. Yeah, we went to the finals that year. First time and first and only time Omri had ever been to the finals, and we lost to Lugano in six games in the finals or five games, I guess it was in the finals. But um, anyways, it was a heck of a ride. But that allowed me to go back to Zurich. So then Zurich came knocking again and went back to Zurich, and then we won a championship the first year I was back in Zurich. Okay, I got a question though, because so you win, I guess the Champions League. You didn't win the Swiss League with Ambry, right? No, no, we didn't. So. Do you get fired out of Ambry? Uh, no, my contract had just run out like after four years. And they basically told me they couldn't afford to keep me. Uh, that you, my contract you, yeah. was, well, my contract. And then <laughs> what happened in, in, uh, in year three is that uh, we, we expanded the number of games that we played by 10 games and they kept the same bonus system for everybody. So it was like so many fresh sweat or Swiss francs per point. So they, and then we went on a tear. We got to a point where these guys were making like a thousand, thousand dollars a game cash just for, for winning the game. So these yeah. guys are like trotting to the rink. But anyways, we built up, up about a half a million dollar hole just through bonuses because we played too well. We screwed my, do you want to know what actually, what actually yeah. happened in beating Heim in the second league in Germany is they put together a team They've signed us to big second league contracts and they put in there every point after 80 points was um, for the guys that signed contracts year before was 350 euros a point and ours were 250 euros a point and every win is three points. Once we got to 80, we did not, we lost the first game at 80 because we were a little nervous, but then the team (laughs) came together and yeah. we never lost another game. And I think we ended up with about 106 points. And like you said, oh my gosh. Yeah. Our, the team was pretty well bankrupt after that. And then <laughs> the team sucked for the next couple of years. Yeah, I was there. yeah. And that's exactly what happened in Omri. So we kind of, we screwed ourselves because we'd, we'd won too much. So anyways, I left there, but it was time. I mean, it was time to go. My heart wanted to stay because I loved it there. I loved my team. I loved the area. I loved Omri. Uh, the fans were and fantastic. you get to know people after four yeah, years, well, right? Absolutely. I mean, you, but I knew in my heart, professionally, it was I was at the peak. It wasn't going to get any better because the budget. They had to cut budget to win. To win shit, you got to have the budget. No, I had to go, and so I went to a team with a bigger budget. So I went to Zurich, had a big budget, and now they're the winning. Lions. Yeah, they're the Lions now. When I was first there, they were called the uh, the uh, Zurich uh, just said to say Zurcher Schlitzu Club. But then the, by that time, they had new ownership. They came in, and by that time, they were called the Zurich Lions. Yeah. Um, so they have a better budget. But so you won it your first year there again. Are you hired at the start of the season? I was hired, actually, in the before the playoffs ended in my when I was in Omri. I was already hired already because 
we made the decision that was made the decision I wasn't coming back. So I'd already signed in Zurich before the so end you, of our season. Well, you're trying Andre. to coach that team, but yeah, you're, but that's but you have your own typical. agent now, right? Or well, you're yeah, not your own yeah, agent. So you yeah, somebody's yeah, agent. I was I had an agent working with me there, but I was doing all the like the meetings and the stuff, you know, personally. But that's just typical for Switzerland. I mean, it's not a good thing, but that's just typical the way things are done there. So yeah, I'd signed in Zurich and uh, uh, before, and then Zurich was like in sixth or seventh place, not going anywhere. And anyways, they get into the playoffs, they get on a roll, and they win a championship out of nowhere. So now I thought I was going into a team that's going to be a sixth or seventh place team with a big budget, going into a team that was a Cinderella team and won it the year before. So now, now the pressure is on to repeat. And that was an experience. I learned a lot that year for sure. But we actually, we got it done. It wasn't easy. You actually, you won it. And then, so yeah, what happened it. to the coach that had won it the year before? They decided we're going to let him go. They just, uh, they, <laughs> they had told, won the championship. They, that was they, enough's they enough. They, yeah. They, they let him go and they signed me before they even got into playoffs and they ended up going and winning the playoffs. So, I mean, <laughs> just, a, it's a crazy, uh, crazy sport. It's, it's you you a, can't a, have to feel too much loyalty as a coach with Swiss teams. Oh, well, it's, uh, it, you, you, it's, it's a thing. I've never changed who I am. As a person, I, I get attached to people. I get attached to teams. I've never changed the way I am. I always give it 100%. I'm all in. Uh, teams, on the other hand, uh, they're quite fickle. You lose two or three, like Baron, SC Baron, perfect example. We go into Baron that first year. They just they, they, they finished in first place two years in a row. John von Boxner was coaching there. They finished in first place two years in a row, and two years in a row they lost the quarterfinals. Fired Van Boxner. He had one year left on his contract. So then they hire me. So my contract, they said, you know, we're going to give you a one-year contract, uh, very, uh, and you're going to have a you know decent salary, but very heavily on the bonuses. If you get past a certain point, your contract is guaranteed for the second year. Plus, you've got these bonuses. I said, sure, I'll take that. But so you know, you get into Baron, and we go through. We finish the, the season in first place. We roll through the playoffs. We win the finals, and everybody's happy, right? Second year bit of a rough start we end up in third place we 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 win the quarterfinals we go to game seven of the semis we lose one nothing in game seven so pretty good second year too we go into year three uh we're in third place we lose three one goal year uh, games in a row we drop down to fifth place the president and the ceo walk in after the game and fire me like kind of like like what (laughs) like we're, we're like what have you done for me lately anyway uh, I was hired back by my other team, Lugano. Uh, the next morning, Lugano calls me up because their coach had just quit. So I was back on a bench in two days. And actually, Brett was my agent. He did that whole deal. So did my, my buyout from Baron and did my new contract in Lugano. And uh, anyways, things work out. But it was a crazy ride there for a week where I got fired, got hired back on a bench. And, and uh, it was a real whirlwind. So you must have to get almost like Cause I think one of the worst feelings I ever had in pro was the, I guess like the times it's the end of the season and they're like, we don't want you back. Yeah. Um, I, I never really been through the, like, you, you got to go now, but that that's part of the coach's life. eh? It is. And uh, I can't think of too many. I can't think of a coach offhand right now that hasn't been fired. If you stay in pro hockey long enough, it's just part of the, it's part of that. Like we say, you're not a real pro coach unless you've been fired at least once. But uh, what it is, I mean, I take everything personally. I say, well, don't take it personally. How can you not take that personally? 
Yeah. I mean, you you're saying so much I'm not yourself. the guy for the job. Yeah. You said I was the guy for the job and we've had success because it's not as though you go into a team and you don't have success. We've gone in and we've won championships and we get fired the next year. Like what? I was smart and now I'm stupid. And now well, I'm going to be smart again. I had you know? it written down on my research team was hot today. And I had it down that you won the championship. And by the next year, you were fired by like November. <laughs> yeah, like in the second and next year. But that, there's a bit of a backstory to that as well. Like I had kind of gotten into the GM at that time uh, in Zurich. He was, uh, let's just put a very challenging person to work with. The most negative person I've ever met in my life. Actually a good person away from the rank, very good, but could not handle pressure. He would just snap and just crack. And yeah. And anyway, we got into it like in training camp my second year. And I basically let him know what I thought of him, which was a mistake. That was on me. He pushed my button so far, I just snapped and I let him have it. But the worst part was I was right outside the dressing room and all the players heard it, right? So at that time, That's I said, yeah, my days, my days yeah. are numbered. He's just going to look for an excuse to get rid of me here. And he did. Yeah. And uh, anyway, it worked out again. So uh, when I got uh, fired that time, where did I go after that? I think I went back to Omri again uh, <laughs> after that. So I've been hired and fired by a lot of different teams. Like, so... I couldn't have been too bad because I coached in Zurich twice. I coached in Ombre twice. I coached in Lugano twice. So, well, and that's you know, the thing. The teams that fired you brought you back. So you couldn't have been right. that bad, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the way it goes. You know, when it's almost like a pressure relief valve. You know, everybody, like losing drives people crazy. And it's kind of a reset button. Fire the coach, bring in some new meat. And then, okay, here we go. We're going to go. We're going to be fresh again. It rarely works. It rarely works out. Once in a while it does. But, um, Usually when that, when that room is fractured, um, it's not the, it, it's not the coach and like, it's, it's that season. It's those players and it, those players need to change teams when the, they, whoever's contract is over that year. And if they weren't mixing, they got to go. It's usually not the coach really yeah. like. It's usually a combination of things. It's, it's many things like I can say like what snowballs, right? Yeah, like we're not, we haven't got the moto yet. That's a whole different thing. But okay, uh, well, let's let's move on. Where are we at? You're right. Okay, here we go. Um, I guess we you go to Norway out of you yeah. know, out of the Swiss A League. What the one thing I want to know is, who do you win the three continental cups with? What's that like? Uh, where we, we where won, do you win those? Oh, that was fun. I mean, uh, the first one we won in Slovakia, uh, and the second one we won in uh, Berlin. And who's this uh, with? So in Berlin, so in Berlin, we played Berlin. We played uh, Akbar's Kazan from the KHL, and we played uh, Dukla, uh, Dukla Trenchin, I believe, from uh, Slovakian Slovakia. League. So we played three top teams, and uh, we beat three top teams. Actually, we tied Berlin two two, but we beat Akbar's Kazan. Like they were the, the, the vice champions of the KHL. We beat them eight to one. And who is you? Which team are you with then? I was with Omri. We, we beat them. We beat Akbar's Kazan eight to one in the Continental Cup finals. And uh, then we beat uh, Dukla. We beat them eight to one too. We hammered them. Like we just hammered everybody. So it was, that was, a, <laughs> we played like over a three or four day period. We played some phenomenal hockey. And then that allowed us to get into uh, Super Cup. So the next year that we ended up uh, in Super Cup, we, we beat uh, Magnetogorsk was the, the Russian champions, the Russian KHL, the Russian champions. Well, that is crazy. That is that. We, what we what kind them. of party is that like? Oh, that was pretty. Navigating fun. So lieutenant. We beat, we beat we beat Magnetogorsk two nothing in a one 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 game winner take all uh, cup game. So that was pretty fun. 
Oh, those so, players anyway, must be legends there. Oh, it's uh, you'd think. <laughs> really? Well, no, no, they are for sure. I mean, always good guys. And a lot of like, actually, two of the guys on that team are now the coach and GM there in Ombre. So they're running the show now. So it's fun to see like the players that I had that have gone on to become coaches and GMs that are, that, that are in hockey. So uh, that's very rewarding for me to see ex-players of mine go on to have and be successful coaches afterwards. No, definitely. And there, there, it's, it's fun for me to see who stays in the game. And like now I feel like I'm part of the game again, doing this, to be honest with you. That's pretty um, fun. Anytime you get to talk hockey is always a good day. It is. And okay. So you leave Switzerland, you win, you've won three continental cups, a super cup. You've won, won the Swiss league three times. You're hired, you're fired, but what's the decision then to take on the job at the Stavanger Oilers? Because, uh, that's a high pressure job for that league in Norway. Cause they're a big budget team for that league, right? They are now they, they weren't at so much at that time. Uh, that was just kind of the start of the role. They kind of got going after that, but, uh, with Stavanger, uh, it was more personal interest. I was just tired. I was, I'd been in the Swiss league for about 13 years and I felt like I was a squirrel on a running reel, like a gerbil, just kind of running faster and faster, but being in the same place. So I wanted to do something different. So this opportunity uh, came along and uh, George Kingston, who was, uh, you know, very, very big on the international scene, well-known in hockey Canada and coach the NHL. But anyways, he was kind of a consultant to the Norwegian Federation. So the Stavanger people got in touch with George and asked him to recommend a coach. And, he, and George recommended me. So the GM of, of uh, Stavanger called me up and we hit it off right away. And uh, so I said, yeah. I said, this sounds like something I'd like to do. So flew in, jumped in there, and uh, had a great time. I loved Norway. I had met some really nice people. Stavanger was a beautiful city. Uh, it's on the west coast of Norway. And if, if you know the geography of Norway at all, you ha- everything's on the coast. In the middle, it is, it's like the moon. Like, it's totally rugged. It's mountains. It's, it's, you, you cannot traverse it. Uh, so with Stavanger, the thing there, we had to fly everywhere. Basically, we'd fly to Oslo and then bus from there. But... Uh, I had a great time. I had a great time. But after that, uh, one year was basically they couldn't afford to keep me. They, they just couldn't afford to, to, to have a coach like me on their team at that time. Yeah. So I ended up going to Villach in Austria. So, again, a, a friend of mine called me up who was leaving the team. The coach was leaving and he suggested me. Uh, they flew me down to, to Austria and hit it off with the GM right away. Like I remember walking around town and you have to imagine like Villach is right in the Austrian Alps as well, like right in the mountains, right? So we're walking around town and it was the second day I was there visiting. And he says to me, he says, no, Larry, we'd really like you to come here. He said, but we can't afford to pay you the kind of money that you make in Switzerland. I said, but I'll tell you what, if you come here, you'll ski and you'll golf for free. And I said, I'm in. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm in. And it was, it was a good, I, I really enjoyed the Austrian league. I had a great time in Villach, had some really great players of players that are still friends of mine. Uh, that I coached there that went on like uh, Mike Stewart has gone on to be a very successful coach in Germany. Um, and uh, so these are just the ways that it goes. And then after that year in Austria, then, then Baron, that's when that SC Baron called me to go back to Switzerland. And then, then that we won the championship that, that Again. Year, first year back here. So, so that was just kind of, but those are things like I was never afraid to take chances and never afraid to, to, to travel. It wasn't that because, you know, I was a Swiss coach. I was just you know, going to put my nose up in the air and not go to Norway or not go to Austria. I had great experiences in both places. And you You're, learn. Yeah. You learn so much from every place you go. Like you experience new leagues, new ways of playing. You meet new people. 
it's it, it was always a great experience to move out of the country and go someplace else. Every league is different, right? Every country plays hockey a little differently, a little don't bit they? Different. Everyone's a little bit different. I found that out when I went to Sweden. There's your segue right there. Okay, well, here we go. We're heading there. Modo, that's the big club in Sweden, right? Like that's was, where all the... It, yeah, it's a great, one of the top development, developmental clubs. It always has been. Like the Stadine brothers are from there. Peter Forsberg, of course, is, is still a force within the club. He was a Modo guy. Uh, you know, you go through uh, like uh, 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 Zetterberg, or not the Zetterberg, but uh, Hedberg. Uh, is from there. I mean, they have so many great players there. But uh, at that time, like Moto was kind of down. Like they had, they hadn't been in the playoffs for a couple of years, and they wanted to go a different route. They couldn't afford to bring in the top Swedish people, and the top Swedish players weren't going to go to Orenskoldsvik, which is the name of the town. It's a little town on the on the northern northern part of Sweden. It's about sixty thousand people, and they just didn't have budget. So they were going to bring in a North American coach and then get North American imports to kind of fill out. And then they had some good young players. Uh, that they wanted to to bring along, and that's kind of what we got. And it was a it was a one of the biggest disappointments in my career that it didn't work out because I was so excited to go there. It was always one of my goals to coach in the Swiss and the Swedish league because they hadn't had a Canadian coach in the league for 25 years. Yeah. And uh, so and to go to Moto, I was the first North American coach ever in that organization. So, anyways, it just didn't work out. I mean, I can give you the whole story, but. I, I, there's definitely some things I'd like to do differently had I had a chance to do it again. I mean, we, we ran into some severe injury problems and goaltending and et cetera, et cetera. But bottom line, after eight games, we were four and four pretty much, or four, three and one. I think we were like eighth place. Everybody was happy. And then we lost, I think, six games in a row, five of them by one goal. And it was just phenomenal. Like we, I didn't, my, my two top DO, my two centermen route, my goalies couldn't stop a beach ball, uh, but we were competitive. And we were we were getting better, and I had like uh, I had some really good like Victor Olson, uh, who's uh, Buffalo Sabers. He was like 20, 19 or twenty at that time. Uh, Callie Grunstrom, who's now with the LA Kings, he was eighteen years old when I was coaching him there. So we had some good young players, but we just we just didn't have enough time and drive. Like I say, Wally, losing drives people crazy, and they've been losing for so long. So they pushed the panic button, fired me. Brought another coach and it didn't work out. They ended up going down that year. They didn't have to. They just panicked and they just so many bad decisions led to another bad decision. And they've been down now in the Allsvenskan, which is the second league in Sweden since they went down that year. But very unfortunate because I love the people I worked with. Really great people. It's a great town. It's a hockey town, Orangefoldsvik. Like every street corner, you've got moto flags on it. You see moto colors all over the place. The golf carts at the golf course have all got moto stickers on them. So like Moto is the only, it's the only show in town. They've got a beautiful rink right on the ocean. Uh, it was just really unfortunate that didn't get the job done. Just didn't get it done. You and know, it was really and, unfortunate. And as a, I never coached yet, but as a, or ever, but like I'm talking kids now, but like um, when you don't get the job done, whether it's your, your work world or anything, it sucks, right? Like you want yeah, to get the job does. done. And absolutely. absolutely. That's, that's the pride of hockey players. You don't, you don't want, you don't want to lose. Nobody wants to lose. No, there's, there was the added pressure of being like a, a foreigner. Like I was the only Canadian in the league, obviously they hadn't had anybody in 25 years. So obviously the press was picking like from the start, they were picking us for last place and picking me for the first coach that was going to get fired. So a lot of people didn't like to have that, like a Canadian coming in. 
That right. wasn't why we didn't win, Walt. But it just that it just got to add pressure to the whole situation. And for me personally, the biggest pressure I ever felt was the pressure I put on myself. So I had I had pressure on myself to succeed, but I thought, you know, I've got to give these young goalies a chance and try to play these. I played the young guys. I played my young goalies. And I kept telling our GM, I said, if we get to Christmas, we'll be fine. After Christmas, I said, these young guys are going to start paying off because they're, they're, they're coming. We're coming. Like we, we were playing these top teams and then just we'd, we'd mess up. You know, you have that losing mentality where you would just make a, a bad and, and there's decision. a young player that makes a mistake that's just not ready for it to make – yeah, but you know something? Two. It wasn't very often. It wasn't our young players. It was the veteran guys or our import guys. But our young players were playing. You know, as they were playing as well as they should have played. But uh, some of our guys just didn't get the job done. That was that was bottom line. And I take my responsibility. I helped a lot of choosing a lot of those guys. If you choose that many imports, not all of them are going to work out. So there was a couple there that didn't really pan out. How many well, did you but, get in that league? Oh gosh, we can have unlimited imports. I think really? had, on that team we had eleven or twelve, I think. But uh, yeah, we had the United Nations of hockey. Like we had Finns and I had Slovak and Norwegians and Canadians and Americans and and uh, so to get that team together. So basically, I got fifteen games and I was gone. So I had signed a two-year contract and they gave me fifteen games and they pulled the plug. So that was a huge disappointment. That one I would love to go back and do again for sure. I would love a do-over on that one. Yeah, no, everybody's got do-overs, but when you go through your career, there aren't many do-overs you need. Um, the parts that I find interesting as only being a player is is the, yeah, like the getting fired, getting hired, and then like when you have kids involved in the mix, yeah. like waiting around for that call, but then you're your own agent, you're a driven person and you're right. You did make your own fate and you got, you got these jobs. And then when you got there, you, you did what it took, right? Yeah, you have to deliver. And I think that's one of the things when you have a proven track record, I mean, teams go up, teams go down. It's not the same team that wins every year. There's only one team that can win every year and teams go in phases. You go through tough spots, you get injuries. So it's just better on that organization and how they how they they work through it. But it's not because I got fired that all of a sudden I'm a bad coach. I mean, I, I've I've shown over the years that I can I could do the job, and that's why you get second chances, even third chances. Then you go back in and you win again. So, like I say, it's it's a it's a type of job where it's amazing how smart you can be, and then how stupid you can be, and then you're smart again. And it's just kind of like all the time you're your same person. But I, I will tell you this. Uh, through every experience, every time that I've left a team, I've always learned something. You always learn. You learn way more from your losses than you do from your wins, Wally. When you're I, winning, I, you think you know everything. When you lose, you have to you have to take a look back, a little retrospect, and really self self analysis and say, okay, what could I have or what should I have done differently? And no, that's called that's called experience. No, that's and you're you're right. And in my playing experience, when I went to Beatingheim and I only knew winning and I was doing great and everything was awesome. And then I got too comfortable. And then all of a sudden, like I'm not asked back. And then when you look at yourself in the mirror, like I could have done more. They sh I could have done more that they want to keep me. And then yeah. there's other places you go and you're like, well, I could have done this differently. And they would have wanted me like I could have done more in the community, anything. But they're they're you know what you do learn from the yeah. times you're not asked back. Right. Yeah. One of the, one of my favorite expressions I've heard Wally is that experience is something you get 15 seconds after you really need it, you know? And uh, so things, decisions you make, the things you say, the things you do, 
I mean, everything affects what's going to happen next in your life and, and all that so-called experience. So you would hope that you would learn from that stuff and it, it just makes you help you grow as a person. Yeah, you can only hope, right? Um, the only thing we didn't touch on, um, I guess we'll just do it very briefly, is like you did have a year in Munich as a team consultant is what it said. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> well, it means I get to go in and be the good guy. So that was the year I was kind of on a paid sabbatical. Uh, when I got let go by Lugano, I still have another year on my contract. So we basically lived in Lugano. My, my, my daughter was going to university there and I just came, kind of took a break. Nothing had come along I really wanted to do and I was getting paid by Lugano anyway. So I just kind of took a break and did some stuff. And one of the things that the opportunity I had was uh, the GM of Munich called me up because Pierre Page was coaching there. And Pierre Page was a friend of mine. He'd worked with me in Ombre. And they were, the team was struggling. There was kind of a civil war going on. There was a lot of strife between coaches and players. And, and it asked me to come in. I said, well, does Pierre want me to come in? So Pierre, he called me afterwards. He said, yeah, Larry, come on in. I said, I, you know, we use a hand, get a different voice, different look at things. So I went in there and I was with them for, I think, two weeks. And uh, interesting situation. So again, I went in as the consultant. So I got to be the good guy, right? So I'm, I'm you know, talking to people, just trying to, get a feel of what's going on within the team. Like, how are we going to get this team turned around and get everybody? Because they had good players, but it just was just a, not a functional group. So anyways, after the two weeks, you know, I uh, basically let everybody know. I talked to the coaches. I dressed the players. And with the coaching staff, I told them, this is what I think. This is what I see. And I think this is what you need to do. And uh, it was an interesting situation. That's, that kind of got, uh, you know, my name into Germany. And the next year I went to Ingolstadt, which was another great i had a great time there as well in ingolstadt yeah and that's and where you, i met Derek Hahn. so that's where i hooked up with Derek Hahn, and, and they had won it out of nowhere the year before so again i i take over a team that won it out of nowhere and uh, we had a great season we ended and up where'd uh, that finishing. coach go uh he got what happened there like they decided they were going to let him go they'd already <laughs> made a decision they were going to fire him before the playoffs because he asked for too much money like he was he was busting their balls so they said you're out of here so they already announced he wasn't coming back and they go on and win a championship. Oh my gosh. So that, that, that world over there is just, yeah, it's, it's a little bit nuts. Anyways, with, uh, with Ingolstadt, we had a great run. We had a bit of a rough start. Uh, we had to get some things ironed out. Uh, we had a little head bashing going on for the first month I was there, but then we got it worked out. We, we, we were a very functional group. We ended up in third place and we lost to uh, Mannheim in the finals in games in six games. So we had a pretty good run there, but uh, then it was time to go. So then Moto, uh, I got the offer from Moto. So I had signed in Moto before the even start of the playoffs in, in Ingolstadt. So, so you were doing, the coaches are doing the same things the players well, are doing. That, Your players just bit, don't know. Like, does it yeah, get Well, that was a little ever? bit special because I was ready to resign with Ingolstadt, but they kept jerking me around. They promised me to, to, to go to, to talk with me in January. And then they wanted to put it off to February. And then, then they decided, like, then they decide. Well, we're, we decided that we're going to wait till after the playoffs. Like, this was like a, like a week or two before the playoffs. They decide they're going to wait. And I said, okay. And I told them, I said, look, it. I said, I have other options. I said, what you're saying right now is you're not sure. Understand this: that there's a very good chance if you don't sign me now, I'm not going to be here. Do you understand that? I said, yes, we understand that. I said, okay, fine, crystal clear. And then I signed with Moto the next day. Right. So uh, and. I don't regret it. I don't regret, I regret going to Moto. It was, I mean, I knew, I remember talking with the, the, the CEO of Baron. We talked that summer and we talked about going to Sweden and how tough it was going to be. And I said, well, you know, 
I said, I know that I risk on breaking my teeth on this one here. I said, but it's something I really driven to do and something I really want to do. I have to try this. I really yes. have to try this. And yeah, I ended up breaking my teeth on it, but I have no regrets because uh, it was something I tried. I didn't get the job done. Uh, there's some things I would have done differently second time around, but I did the best I could. And I just didn't quite maybe get things done quick enough. I think that was the problem. Yeah, no, and, and that happens. But so then even after that year, I my last couple questions here are you play you after that year with Moto, you do get back to the Swiss A League again, right? And these are yeah. jobs coveted by every coach in the world. And you can just come and go as you please, it seems <laughs> like. Yeah, you'd think, well, I can definitely go when I, when I want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I got a call like uh, uh, that next uh, fall from uh, Christian Dubé, uh, who was the GM of Freeburg in the Swiss NLA. And Christian was a former player of mine. He was with us in Bern when we won this, the, the cup there. Chris was an excellent player. He was a very Did he very not talented. play for the World Juniors when I was a child? Yeah, oh yeah, he was a great junior player. Like he was a first round draft choice in New York Rangers. Like he was a very talented junior player, very talented player. Period. I remember the World Juniors and he was on that team and he was yeah. one of those players when you're a kid, you're like, that kid, guy's little like me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't a big guy, but very, very talented player. But anyways, uh, by that time, Chris was the uh, GM, so... They're, they're, uh, they're, they'd lost, I think in the first 10 games, they'd won one game and then their coach resigned. He quit and became the head of the minor hockey system. How that happens. I'm not quite sure, but anyways, well, they, they so tell them he quit. Yeah. They, <laughs> they needed a coach. So anyways, uh, yeah, sure. Let's do it. So jumped on a plane, got in there and, uh, it was a funny, you know, we just, again, uh, we guys worked hard. We didn't have a very talented defenseman core. And our goaltender was, he was a, a talented guy, but he's way out of shape and he couldn't stop a beach ball in the league. Anyway, but uh, we started that's a, working. That's tough when you're Yeah, we goalie. started working. But what was really odd that year is that in Champions League, we played great. Our goalies were great. So in Champions League, we went to final four that year. We went and we end up uh, the final four. And we got uh, beat by uh, Forlunda Indians who ended up winning the Champions League again. But uh, we lost the two games to Forlunda, but we beat some really good teams along the way. So in our league, we got it going after Christmas. But you start the season, you're one in 10. Uh, you're one in nine or one in 10, one in 11. I mean, you got to play like, you know, six games over 500. Like you got to play so many games over 500 just to get a sniff to get it back in the playoffs. So anyways, <laughs> after that, at the end of the season, they just decided that that was going to be it. I would have gone back again and continued working, but they just decided that was such they wanted to just kind of change the whole thing. So this isn't it. this wasn't the last question because my curiosity has gotten the best of me because you oh. said your goalies weren't stopping the puck. Um, yeah. I want to know about coaching goalies because as a head coach, goalies are different than most people. But like when a goalie starts letting in pucks as a coach. They are totally different to deal with than a player, but yeah. it's still reading the personality, is it not? But how it do is. you read goalies? Absolutely. Every, every goaltender is different, and they're not so much different than anybody else. I think what makes them different is their position. I, I mean, playing goal, first of all, you're standing by yourself. Yeah. The pressure of playing, you're on the ice 60 minutes. Every time a goal goes in, I mean, you're feeling shame because you've got, you're the ultimate thing. It, it beats you. You're, you're getting beat in every goal. And uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a difficult position. It's by far the most important position to play in the game. And in this particular case, 
for this particular goaltender, we did a couple of different things. First of all, read him the riot act on his conditioning. He had, a, he had to lose. He was just way out of, way out of shape. And then got in uh, like, a, uh, like a sports psychologist to start working with him, working with him personally. And he got it turned around. And after Christmas, he played very well. Uh, but by then we were, we were buried by then we had no chance of getting back in there, but he did show, he did, he did get his season turned around. I give him a lot of credit and he's still playing in the league. So, I mean, cause that could have been like, really, he was on a slippery slope out of the league. I mean, he was eating himself out of the league and he was just not being who he was. Like he was a top junior goaltender and just, he was a top talent, but just never learned how to become to a professional. Yeah. Yeah, he never became a professional, and I think that was probably so. We were kind of teaching him how to be a professional goaltender. Yeah, you know? no, and it is a different thing than just having fun with your buddies in high school or college and being a pro. They're two well, totally just, different things. You can't be, you know, you can't be playing when you got like eighteen percent body fat and uh, just not not working on yourself, working on your game, doing putting in the extra time. You've got to learn how to be a professional. Yeah. And uh, some some players get it, some do not. The players that get it usually go on to have long careers. The players that do not, even though they've got a lot of talent, they burn out quickly because they've never learned how to become professionals. Yes, no, that makes a lot of sense. That's why all but, the guys my age that are still playing were the best yeah. pros when I was playing. And I can say this, that if anybody who's listening is aspiring to be a hockey coach, here's the only piece of advice I'm going to give you. Get a good goaltender. <laughs> That's the only piece. That's, because I tell people, I said, my, my perceived hockey IQ always in direct relationship with the save percentage of my goaltender. Yep. So think about that. The the you're right. Play, you're absolutely the right. The better they play, the smarter I look. If they stop that shot at the end of the game, you look oh, so yeah. smart. <laughs> Absolutely. But if your players are holding their breath every, every time they risk one from the blue line, you're not going to go far. Yeah, <laughs> so. no, I agree. And, yeah. um, but seriously, I am actually the, the, the program you've come up with there, the, uh, the hockey coach vision, like that, that program, when you showed it to me earlier, like it's incredible. And I think every coach that's into this in all 40-ish countries that are listening like you should check it out because um you got a world-class coach here giving out what 150 free drills 3d yeah, well there's there's yeah there's more than that but uh there's more than that and if anybody uh writes to me uh, they can write to me at uh larry.huris at coachvision.ch and then just mention wally sent me and I'll make sure you get a great uh, two ales and hockey tails uh, discount on your on your subscription. There you go. See people helping people. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, like we could have had a full podcast just on your playing career, but we had to speed everything along to try and fit it in our our time frame. But like, realistically, you're like a you're a you're a player podcast, you're a coach podcast. And then we could do another one with all the, like we could have talked about so many other things, even in each season. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's something I, I really wish when, when I left, well, I really wish from the start of my pro career that I had kept a journal. And for sure, when I went to Europe, 
uh, from the first days I put my feet down like in, in, onto France, I wish I would have kept the journal because there's so many stories and so many things. We didn't even talk about like the one game we played in the southern part of France. It was their tradition that we they played the game. They had a Christmas tree at center ice. So we played a professional game, hockey game with a Christmas tree right at center ice. And they had like a big tire. They had a big like a like a big tractor tire type of thing. And they had this big, huge Christmas tree in it. And we had to play around this damn Christmas tree. They had bat. It, it was lit up. It was beautiful. But you're playing a friggin' professional hockey game with a Christmas tree in the middle of the ice. Is it big? Is it a big tree? It was huge. It had to be 15 feet high. So that's the tree. middle of the, that's center ice. That's at center ice of the rink. Where is the opening faceoff taken? Beside the tree. <laughs> anyway, and like so, when it when the game's like on the line in the third period, the tree's still there. The tree is still there. The tree did not move. The tree was there the whole game. <laughs> no, and uh, you're right though. Like keeping a journal um, for all you young bucks, if there's any listening that are playing in Europe, like write shit down that you do yeah. because like there is so much stuff I did over there that I don't remember until I start talking to guys on podcasts. Right. Yeah. Well, the fun part is when you get together with old teammates and you start talking about that because everybody remembers different stories. Right. And then every story leads to another story. So that's when you, you kind of go back, but yeah, that that's one thing I highly recommend. And just in your life in general, keep a journal. I mean, the thoughts and things that happen to you, the things that bite your mind, it's massive when you go back 5, 10, 15, 20 years and you start thinking about how a younger Wally or a younger Larry was thinking or what he thought was at one time. And you're thinking, man, was I ever kind of tuned out at that time? Or that was pretty funny or I'd forgotten about that. So it's an amazing thing. Anyways. Yeah. No, that, that, that actually is an interesting take. But, like, I just want to thank you so much for coming on, like, that, like this is going to make me legit, you know, having guys like this in the shed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, happy to be here. Wally. I wish you well, but you've got a, a great, uh, great setup there. Your two L's and hockey tails with Wally. I wish you well. And uh, I'll see yeah. you golfing. I'll see you yeah, golfing. I'll, I'll, and see you. I'll, I'll see you soon. I've never met you, but I guess we're going to meet soon. <laughs> well, we, we shall meet on the links up there. All right. Go Sugar Kings go. And that has been another episode of two L's and hockey tails with Larry and Wally. Some people clap on a one and three. Some people clap on a two and four. Some people don't join at all because they got no rhythm, and that's all right. Some people, they drink too much. Some people don't drink enough. Some people are just like me. I hope y'all forgive them. I might stop and time to go.